Imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women. Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Leadership Global, a program for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage and bold leadership. Today, we are so lucky to be able to welcome Sara Kumlalo, a keynote speaker, best-selling author, transformational coach, mountaineer, and the first Black African woman to summit Mount Everest. Sara's truly remarkable life story is chronicled in her book, My Journey to the Top of the World, where Sara shares her epic journey to the top of the world, Mount Everest, from her childhood in Zambia and Zaire to a corporate career in South Africa. Through marriage and motherhood, Sara harbored one overriding ambition, to reach the summits of the world's highest mountains. She first summited Mount Kilimanjaro and then others, but her ultimate goal was to summit Everest. After three unsuccessful attempts, Sara became the first Black African woman to summit the world's highest peak. Her success was hard won, though. Along the way, she suffered severe personal setbacks, serious health issues, and life-threatening injuries. But her perseverance finally paid off as Sara's success at high altitude has helped change the narrative about who belongs on the mountains and whose stories should be told. Sara's story, which redefines common misperceptions about what women are capable of doing and achieving, will absolutely inspire girls and women from all walks of life. In her fascinating memoir, she shares not only her incredible mountaineering feats, but also the lessons that she has learned about life, about perseverance and failing forward. Today, you have the opportunity to hear from Sara Kumalo and her story personally, which redefines common perceptions, again, about what women are capable of doing and achieving. She shares not only her incredible mountaineering feats, but also her incredible insight about what it is to be a woman attempting some of the most daunting achievements that anyone could experience. Now, before we jump in, let me tell you just a little bit about Sara. She is an award-winning South African mountaineer and the first Black African woman to summit Mount Everest and ski to the South Pole. She was born in Zambia. She's of Rwandan heritage and has lived in Eastern, Central, and Southern Africa. Sara's accomplishments include being a mother to two boys, holding a Guinness World Record, and at the time of writing the book, she also worked as an executive and a corporate leader in the finance services sector. As a leadership and transformational coach, she focuses on women executives and entrepreneurs. Sara is also a global keynote speaker and the founder of NP 
PC Summits with a Purpose, which uses mountaineering to raise funds and to promote literacy and education by building physical and digital libraries in disadvantaged schools. She believes that education is the great equalizer and it's capable of changing the narrative for the next generation. In her podcast, because it's there, she talks to successful African and global leaders about their experiences and their philosophies on leadership. Thank you so much for joining us, Sara. Now, before we get started, tell us just a little bit about your journey and what led you to have such passion to create this epic novel about your personal journey. Yeah, thank you so much. That that was an amazing introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, so I think I actually started as an accidental mountaineer with Kilimanjaro as, uh, you know, as a bucket list item after I had uh, actually an American um, guy ask me, have you done Kili? And I said, no. And they really went to town about Kilimanjaro. And I thought, that's an African story. That's something I should do. Um, and uh, almost 12, about 12 years later, almost, uh, I found myself in a position to join a group that was going to Kilimanjaro. But at the time, I was going through my own soul searching. I had just lost my older sister. I was trying to find my reason for being. Um, and in the process, I quit my job because I didn't feel like whether it's money and position was actually it. Um, because, you know, when you go through certain life-changing events, you go back to your grassroots. I went back to the grassroots and I remember my grandfather who always used to say, if you don't live a life of service, it's a life wasted. And, and, and that kind of made me question what I was doing. And I discovered I wasn't living a life of service. So to fast forward it, I found myself in a position to support a home that looked after street kids and every month, would help these street kids um, come into uh, our office to help them interview etiquette, we'll take them to restaurants, to the zoo and so forth. We just did one activity per month with them. But every month for us to be able to do this would kind of beg around the office for people to contribute. But there is donor fatigue, which is very clear. People are tired of just giving and giving and giving. So I came up with an idea to say, since we're doing Kili, let's use it to raise money for the home. And we did exactly that. You know, the summit happened and we raised enough money to build them an outdoor gym because they needed a, almost like a playground. But we also were an, a, an insurance company that was looking at people's wellness, so um, which is something that I'm passionate about. Um, then we also converted the room into a study and the library for them because they used to do their homework at the dining table. And, and, and that kind of caused the shift because when we were handing over the library and the outdoor gym, one of the kids in the home just couldn't believe like some, that someone like her could do something like this. So she asked to say, do you come from the township? And when I said yes, initially I thought she was joking, you know, because we always say black people don't swim, we don't do this, you know, and until I realized that she was serious, she says, no, but students that come from Europe, from the US, as exchange students to the home, when they leave, they're the ones that raise enough money to do things like this. So Linda, this was 
a, a sense of self-disbelief that I could relate to as a young Sarah growing up and watching all these superheroes on, on uh, uh, cartoons that didn't look like me, that were flying and nobody around me flew. You know, um, and that bothered me as a mother of two. And, and remember I was in this searching for my reason for being, and I decided that I actually was going to do more like this until she and others believed that they can do anything. They too can step on top of the world. And help is not coming from elsewhere, it's coming from within. It's, it's important for me that we raise a generation that believes in their limitless potential, that believes that anything is possible, that don't grow up like me being told that the sky is the limit, but the sky being the stepping stone for what they can do and not focusing on what they're not great at, but leaning into what they're good at in order to optimize their potential. Um, yeah, so, you know, I could go on and, and I think that's really the message. If I can touch one person that touches another, we really as a generation can change the world. I love that, Sarah, thank you so much. And I love this idea of limitless. You said that really one of your founding principles is to instill a sense of hope and a sense of being able to be limitless in the next generation of leaders. But I must say in your book, um, you note that facing your fear and being courageous and attempting that second climb to Mount Everest, that must have been incredibly challenging. So what did you do to sort of redouble your efforts and use that second attempt as a way of building your resilience and your courage? What was that like for you? Yeah, I think the, the first attempt when I saw um, dead bodies being picked from the Kumbu icefall, the 16 shepherds that had died, that was kind of a wake up call. You read about people dying on Everest, you read about bodies, you watch documentaries, it happens to other people. Now to be there and seeing it in real life, there was a lot of fear, a lot of questioning the decision in terms of why I'm there. Um, but then something suddenly happened because at the time, believe it or not, I had great imposter syndrome. I was the least experienced in the group. I didn't look like people that traditionally would climb. Every, most people that met me assumed I was going to Everest Base Camp and not necessarily to summit. Um, and I kind of changed my game plan to try and hike and climb like the people that were experienced so that I can show them that I belonged. So that they can trust that when we are on the rock together, I've got their back as much as they've got mine. And, and that didn't really work out too well. But one of the things after the, the accident happened is I realized that they that were experienced that I thought belonged on the mountain or that made me feel like I didn't belong were just as scared as I was. They didn't know what to do with what had just happened. There was survivor's guilt. Did the shepherds die because we insisted we wanted to climb? Did they love climbing? Should I even be here? And, and, and it was then that a friend sent me a message and said, figure out what you need to learn from this challenge and that will inform your next steps. And, and I started a habit, which I still do until today. Um, if anything, if a curveball is thrown at me, I, I look at it, 
Um, obviously, I'm sad about it, but I don't dwell on that. I sit down and write down all the positives that I've picked up from that specific experience. And believe it or not, most of the times the positives are two pages and the negative are half a page. And we are so conditioned to focus on half the page when we have double page of what we can work on. So what did I pick up from the first um, expedition? I wasn't, I didn't train um, properly. I trained in the gym six times a, a, a week. And the people that I, I saw were stronger on the mountain were um, mainly doing a lot of cardio, running and cycling. And when I went back, when I came back home, I became a runner and I became a cyclist. I trained differently. I put in a lot more effort. I used everything um, that I learned to actually um, go back stronger. The other thing that I realized is life is fragile. We all have an expiry date. And I don't believe that those shapers knew that was their time. You know, so I was saved for a reason. I'm, from then on until today, I'm very deliberate about what I do and how I move forward and what decisions I make. And I don't waste time trying to cry over spilt milk, if I may use that word. Um, it's spilt. It was great when it, uh, you know, it lasted. What did I pick up from there? And I use that as a stepping stone to move forward. Yeah, that's so smart. And uh, as you noted in your book, after three unsuccessful attempts, you actually did become the first black African woman to summit the world's highest peak, Mount Everest, after summiting Mount Kilimanjaro and others. And so clearly that persistence and that focus on learning and integrating the setbacks that you experienced and the roadblocks and the obstacles, all of those experiences helped lead you ultimately to your success. But as we know, that success was really hard won. Uh, along the way, you suffered some severe personal setbacks, some serious health issues, some life-threatening injuries. And you even noticed after the injury, things changed for you. So can you talk a little bit about some of the obstacles, some of the setbacks that you experienced and how you move through those experiences to ultimately have success as the first black African woman to summit the world's highest peak, Everest? Yeah, thank you. That, that's, that's a brilliant question. And, and it's not something that I woke up and say, this is what I'm gonna do, you know? Um, it's first of all, you question whether what you're doing, is it the right thing? What did I do wrong and what could I do differently? When I started, it was about, I wanna make a difference and I wanna build libraries. And I discovered that the world, the mountaineering world doesn't think that I belong. They don't give me the same benefit of the doubt that they give their counterpart, white male, especially with money. They belong on Everest. They've got testosterone and I didn't. Um, and, 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 and I added to my objective, I needed to represent. It was important for me that if they saw somebody like me in future, they give them the same benefit of the doubt. So that built onto, I'm not just summiting with a purpose, but I also needed to represent because I'm not going to be dictated to what I should do and not do. 
I need to do what I believe, what I like, right? And what I believe my purpose is for and not just be um, boxed in a certain box based on somebody's perception, right? And, and that became important for me. In the process, we, myself and uh, the group that I was in, we wrote over 200 um, proposals requesting for funding. I mean, one of the most ridiculous one, that response that we got, who is the man that's taking you? Suddenly somebody thinks, well, you females, like somebody must be taking you. I mean, this is 2020, 2019. How do you still think like that? You know, and how can I change that so that the response is based on the capability and not necessarily because I'm female, male, black or white, um, you know, and, and I think we need to change that, the, the biases. And, uh, and that became kind of important for me. Apart from that, I, I had an accident in 2016. Um, I didn't attempt Everest in that year. I didn't have enough savings. <laughs> so it's the year that I said, I'm going to save up and go in 2017. And during that year, I did all the stuff that I saw working for people that were stronger in the mountain. So I was cycling and running. Uh, and on the 8th of August, while cycling, um, I was coming down the mountain after... Um, you know, cycling the previous day, which was a stage race. So a stage race, you race on three consecutive, maybe sometimes more days. And we were racing on three days. First day we cycled, everything was fine, mountain biking. The second day, around the 34th, 32nd kilometer, when I was coming down, I fell off coming down a mountain with my mountain bike. Probably at around just about 40 kilometers an hour, 40, 45 kilometers an hour. Um, I went down thinking, you know, I've got this. But when I got down to try and break, the back brakes were gone and I was uncleated, thrown out, and I hit my head on a big rock that was at the bottom, cracked my helmet, cracked my head quite badly. Um, and, um, I don't remember most of it, except I was going in and out of consciousness. There was a helicopter hovering around, somebody asking about medical aid. And I woke up over two weeks later after having been a coma, in a coma after that accident. And that was another shift for me. I remember waking up getting a lot more confused about where I was. Um, I was having nightmares. Um, and uh, I figured, okay, I'm in hospital. Initially, when I got out of consciousness, I pulled the tubes. Um, my voice wasn't like this, so I broke vocal cords. It was just crazy. My family was called from all over the world. I've got sisters either in the UK and relatives in the US and my mother in Zambia. They all came to say goodbye. And that's how serious it was. Um, and somehow I was saved from that, you know, I cracked my head, yes, I broke my arm, but I could still walk. Um, and when I got out of the hospital um, about four weeks later, um, I started walking. The doctors just said, don't get back on the bike because we may never be able to fix you if you get another concussion. I still have my bike. I'm hoping to go back onto it one day. Um, but I started walking 
I started uh, working in the month uh, after, that's September. October, I started running. November, I ran a full marathon. I remember actually after that marathon, it was the first time I entertained that I could still go back on Everest. And I went to the doctor and said, surely I can still climb if I could run 42 kilometers. You know, um, I think the, the poor man just realized he wasn't going to talk me out of it. He's like three weeks before you leave, <laughs> come back and see me and go back at, at there. The, 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 the interesting thing is when I went back, I was a lot stronger because I wasn't wasting time with training that I didn't see work. I was doing a lot of cardio. I was very specific in terms of how I was preparing myself for, for the summit. You know, um, I went back and unfortunately 2017, all the way up to the South Summit, the weather changed on us. Um, and um, we decided we we're going to go back to Camp 4 and wait it out because we had extra oxygen, which I had purchased. And on our way down, once again, bad luck, I suppose, struck. Um, somehow my oxygen supply wasn't happening. So I was inhaling and exhaling the same air for almost probably six hours, we think, because we don't know when it actually started. And, and I said to Nawang, there's something wrong. I can't, I'm failing to breathe. I'm, I feel suffocated. And he said to me, look, there are the tents. We could see camp for. Let's just get there. We'll fix this. Um, and the next thing, I was down. I was unconscious. I lost my, actually, uh, my mittens. Uh, he couldn't help me because the winds were quite bad. And he went to uh, uh, Camp 4, uh, got other shapers. This is now hearsay because I was unconscious. They lifted me and took me to Camp 4. When we got there, our tent was blown off by the winds. So we lost, sleeping, like everything was gone. And he took one of those makeshift tents and put me in there and changed my oxygen tank because I had um, bought extra. And the next day, I just felt somebody touching me. I mean, in the middle of the night, I was gaining consciousness and going back, um, hallucinating almost, like, where am I, you know? Um, and in the morning, when I felt somebody kind of touching me, I woke up and recognized um, another shepherd. They came with a stretcher. And he, he was like shocked. He's like, oh, you're alive. And I'm thinking, of course I'm alive, but I'm hungry because I didn't eat it. And he looks at me, he says, but I have no food. I do have water, which is gold at that altitude. So I took the water and I drank it. I remember saying to him, I don't want to get on a stretcher, but I stood up and I looked at Everest so close and yet so far. And for the first time, Linda, I thought, you know, maybe those people that said I couldn't and I didn't belong there. Right. I think it's it's kind of the lowest point where you think, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm going to show you that people like us can do things like this. And it's just not going, no matter how much you try. They say third time lucky, but it wasn't, you know. So I came back home inside. To be honest, I had kind of almost given up. Um, you know, but I, I didn't dare say that to anybody. Um, I just kept it in, went to hospital, came back home, uh, and I stopped writing proposals. Because I thought to myself, when everything was fine, when, you know, I could say I didn't attempt because, um, you know, the, the mountain was closed. This time I had everything and I didn't make it. 
why would they even bother reading my proposal? So I didn't ask for any money from anybody. And, and my son came to me one day, I'm sitting in the lounge 2018, and he says, Mama, when are you going back to Everest? And this for me is kind of a lesson, you know? He said that because I always push him. When he comes home after losing a match, soccer match, I say, okay, don't worry, boy. What did you learn from that? What can you change? Go back and do it again. So he was actually just giving back <laughs> that to me. And I remember looking at him and feeling so guilty. I can't tell him that I've, I've given up. I said to him, I'm going back. Don't worry, 2020, you know. And I ended up going in 2019. But I did everything differently, everything. I went with a smaller group. I bought my own um, weather report. I was part of the decision-making process. We go out of the tent, why, what's happening, how long are we going for, base camp is too full, what's the strategy? And also more importantly, I ran my own race. I, I joined two climbers that had been climbing together for years and they, they knew each other's style. So I was like, no, I didn't train with them. I'm gonna go my own race, me, my shaper and the leader. The other thing is I celebrated getting to camp one. I didn't take it for granted because I had been there and 99 meters from the top and it didn't happen. Celebrated getting to camp two. That was like, you know, <laughs> success in, its, in itself. And I think we don't celebrate small wins enough because when we celebrate them, we are motivated and inspired to do more and do better. It, it's, um, it encourages. It encourages, uh, it encourages us and those around us to work harder and push more and take the next step, you know? And, and I summited and I, I know that we, we've talked about this, getting up there was emotional, a total emotional wreck. It was, the weather wasn't that great, but it was, you know, it was good enough for us to be able to summit. We were there for about 25 minutes. I remember sitting there and thinking about my mother who always used to say the sky is the limit and how wrong she was because suddenly the clouds were beneath me. And from then on till now, I believe that the sky is our stepping stone. We have limitless potential. I think it's important in our lifetime to keep digging deep because we'll shock ourselves what, what we are able to achieve as human beings. I believe God made the mistake. He, made us as purposeful beings. We become ordinary when we try and be other people or be like them or fit into the box that society has set up for us. And, and unfortunately, it's mainly women. We're comfortable to play small. And that's why my favorite quote is Marion Williamson that says, playing small does not save the world. And she is absolutely spot on. And we do that. And we give permission to others to actually treat us as such. I love that, Sarah. And I will tell you that the one line that I think is so impactful and I will take with me forever and ever is the sky is simply a stepping stone. That yeah. is just so incredibly powerful. And you also mentioned something else that I think is just really pivotal. This is just fundamental to anyone who is attempting really daunting task. And that is, how you think can play a significant part in how you feel and how resilient you are when you're faced with incredibly daunting challenges. So how did you keep things in perspective and maintain a hopeful outlook? 
even during the most challenging parts of your expedition? Yeah. I think it's important to know why you're doing what you're doing. Climbing had become a lot more for me than just going to take a selfie, than just raising money to build libraries. It had become about representing and changing how people like me are treated on the mountain or they're perceived, or how a child sitting in the township with absolutely nothing can see themselves as the next president, irrespective of what the world thinks of them today or what's happening um, with them. I think it, it became clear for me that the next step was worth it because it was bigger than me, you know, um, effectively. Um, I th the other thing that is, you know, it, it has become very clear and, and I've used this and continue to use this is the phrase that is maybe a cliche where people say, this too shall pass. And that is so powerful because even when you climb Everest, you acclimatize and you sit at Everest base camp waiting for the right weather window. That bad weather that's going on, it's going to go off and there will be a chance for you to go. The reality is, if you're not prepared when that window opens, you're not going to win. So while you wait for the right weather window, stay active, stay positive. So I try as much as possible and take out all the negative thoughts and focus on what is positive, the two pages of what is positive and forget the half a page. I'm also very clear that I'm not going to surround myself with people that do not believe in what is on the table um, objectively. If I feel that when I meet you, Linda, all you want to talk about is how things cannot be done, I'll try and direct the conversation into, so what are the solutions? What are the solutions? And if I feel that your negativity is affecting me, I'm very quick to walk away. It's important to be very conscious and deliberate in terms of the people that you surround yourself with, the people that you partner with, and for businesses, the strategies that you follow. We all were in primary school and had teachers in primary school. When we moved on to high school, we loved them, but we didn't take them with us. So there are friends and partnerships and strategies that work for us, maybe let's say pre-COVID, that are not going to set us up for success now. So it's, it's, it's important to let go, identify them and let them go. And, and the other thing that the last thing that I want to talk about is the importance of being a VIP in every space that you are in. And that is really being visible, being intentional with every step and being present. You're being present when you're listening. I'm listening to Linda. I'm learning from her. It informs how I can intentionally impact her and impact myself so that we can succeed. We don't actually not just succeed, we can thrive hereafter. That is such incredible insight. I love the acronym VIP. And again, another incredibly important gold nugget that I will take away with me from this conversation. Thank you so much. I tell you what, we're almost at time. So I'm going to wrap up our discussion today with one last question. I will tell you, Sarah, 
my journey to the top of the world, your memoir is just such an incredibly inspiring and such an incredibly unbelievable memoir of courage, of resilience, of just really dedication. It's just such an incredible testament to who you are and also the legacy that you're leaving the world. And I feel like the entire book is really just chocked full of leadership advice. It's really chock full of life lessons. And so I can't recommend highly enough that everyone listening to today's program, definitely go buy a copy of this book, give yourself a gift and buy My Journey to the Top of the World by Sara Kumalo. She is absolutely remarkable. And as I said, the entire book is really chock full of leadership advice. But if you were to offer one piece of leadership advice that you think has made the biggest impact on your life, what would you leave our listeners today? For me, it's focusing on my strength. Focusing on my strength and partnering with people that are stronger in what I'm not so great at. I don't want to waste my time, um, you know, trying to be an astronaut, you know. I'm gonna focus on what I'm great at and partner with people that are great at other fields that are going to complement mine. That is the biggest thing. I think, you know, especially in in the African uh, environment, when we were at school, if you were not so good at maths, they kind of gave you remedial classes, extra teachers, you spent so much time doing maths and then you still get not, not so great results at the expense of stuff that you were so good at. If you think about Picasso, if we, if he was kind of forced to do sciences and not paint the beautiful pictures that he, he painted, uh, we wouldn't have the beautiful, amazing uh, Picasso pieces that we have today. So focus on what you're great at, partner with people that are great at what you find challenging, what doesn't excite you to do. And that's a solution for um, success. And lastly, when you get up there, wherever it is, I mean, I've been to the top of the world. There's enough space for everybody. You know, put the ladder down and get other people to come up with you because that is the key to success because it may be lonely up there if you try and go on your own. I love that. And that is absolutely such the ethos of Leadership Global, which is all about accelerating the success of women all around the world, doing everything we can to give them access to media opportunities or to funding or to resources and tools or connections or introductions to people and to resources and networks that will really help them achieve whatever their purpose in life is. So what a wonderful way to wrap up today's discussion. Sara, thank you so much for everything uh, that you just left us with today. So much thought-provoking, insightful, impactful insight. I am so grateful for you. And again, I can't urge everyone enough to pick up a copy of Sara's epic novel, My Journey to the Top of the World. It's a phenomenal read and it is just jam-packed full of leadership advice and incredible storytelling about one of the most daunting challenges that any human being can take on in planet Earth, which is 
summiting the tallest peak in the world, Mount Everest. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Always exciting to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining Lead Hership Global's award-winning podcast. As a member of Lead Hership Global, you have the opportunity to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong friendships, and be surrounded by others who are invested in your success. Join our global community of inspiring women in leadership, women who will help you create greater levels of impact, support your personal and professional breakthroughs, and help you accelerate your success. Don't miss out on the opportunity to show up, speak up, and step up in your professional and your personal life. Find out how you can join us at leadhershipglobal.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.